Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City, all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz Wall Report. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Take a seat and get ready because this radio service is about to start. There's a saying that goes a little something like this. If you don't build your own dreams that come from your own instincts, then someone else will give you a job to help you build theirs. Our guest today needs no introduction and has been called many things. America's Best Preacher by Time Magazine, America's Treasure by Oprah, Precious by Vip Jaswal. He's all of that and more, but trying to define him is an injustice in itself. However, I do have a new name for this outstanding individual. In his own words, he's helped people from the crack house all the way to the White House. His words go so deep and they resonate in such a way that when he speaks, your soul comes alive. His new book is called Instinct, and everyone who's read it loves it, and so do I. But let me warn you, this book is not a one-time read. There's so much revelation in there that you cannot just read it once because it's that good. What this man has done is to simply pull away the blanket that covers within you what is already there. If life was like a game of hide-and-seek, this book, this man and his words will help you seek what you have hidden. My new name for this man is Life Master, and it's a pleasure to bring to Fox News Radio, all the way from Dallas, larger than life, sweeter than cherry pie, and ooh, twice as tasty, the one, the only Life Master himself, Bishop T.D. Jakes. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Vip. If that intro doesn't sell your book, I don't know what will. <laughs> I'm impressed, I tell you. <clears throat> you know what? It ranks right there along with the all-time greats like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It really Thank does. You. Thank you. Now, this book, it's more than a body of work. It's a work about, I guess, of, of, of living your life. And you are living proof of that because you seem to be following your instincts. You're so much more than a preacher, a pastor, Um can you define yourself, or do you think that's a limitation in itself? You know, you're creating your own path. So who is Bishop? What is he? I, I think he is a work in progress. Uh, he is a song being written. He is a dance being danced. He, he is his music re- waiting to be scored. Um, I'm not finished yet. I'm still evolving. But right now, what would you, if someone was to, if you, if a communicator, a, a communicator. communicator, yeah, yeah, because whether through film or through books or through speaking, whether it's teaching or doing corporate teaching or doing preaching, I'm, I'm, I'm in my heart a communicator and a listener, and a thinker. The, the odd thing about speech is it is proven that we do not speak correctly if we do not hear correctly. So the, the real impetus through which uh, intellectual thought is spoken comes from intellectual hearing, being exposed to people who say things that resonate and reverberate in your soul. Now, in, chap- in page 63, the chapter on an instinctive sense of direction, you said, and I quote, Am I driving with my heart or my head? I've often struggled inwardly to understand which part of me leads the way. So which is it? I think it's a mixture of both. I think that they hold each other in tension. Um, <laughs> like, like traveling companions often do, uh, both of them have different attributes through which I resolve some some balance by living in between the two polarities of a heart that is too big and a, and a mind that is too inquisitive. <laughs> now, I want to talk about the definition of instinct. Um, I was giving it a bit of thought uh, last night. There is, I believe, God within each of us. So is our instinct actually 
God's voice hinting at our purpose on earth? I, I think that it is. Um, I like to think of it this way. When I think of a metaphor, I, I like to think that he, we, we have been pre-wired. Mm-hmm. That that our hard drive has been pre-wired to function a certain kind of way, and in that way, it is in fact His Majesty, and that He has created the tension between our proclivities and our purpose, so that our proclivities, our deepest proclivities, would bring us into our brightest purpose. Now, is instinct then effectively your sixth sense? Uh no, I, I don't like to use the term success, so it is a contemporary understanding as if we had a, another sense that it protruded outside of the first five. Mm-hmm. In reality, I think that uh, instincts are a whole new set of five that exist in a spiritual dimension. And and I submit to you that uh, when, when I read writings like, like in Hebrews, uh, it says that we have our senses exercised by reason of use. It's not talking about eyes and ears and, and mouth and nose, but it's talking about that we see on a diff- different level than what our eyes can imagine, and we hear things that are not audible. And those things are spiritual things. They are innate things. They are inner cravings, and I think we have a whole set of senses. Sometimes it's a feeling of uh, a foreboding feeling when you walk into a room. Uh, sometimes it's a feeling of, tranquility uh, at a strange moment of place. We have a whole other set of senses that are deeply embedded in the human soul. Now, this book, when I read it, it really, for me, helped differentiate between three things, what we presently do with our lives, Mm -hmm. what we want to do, Mm -hmm. and what we are meant to do. Absolutely. Where does instinct fall within these? I think instinct really falls in the area of the third, what we are meant to do. Most of us have spent most of our lives doing what we had to do. Or what people expected us to do. We have conformed to the needs of the moment, the times, the economy, the wife, the the husband, the job. Sometimes we've been contorted into so many different figures that we lose all sensitivity to who we really are. And and many, for most of us, it's the middle of your life or later before you really um, disrobe all of the mantles that have been placed upon you arbitrarily and come down to the core of who you really are as an individual. That's a, that's a process like peeling an apple to get to your core. But in terms of finding our instincts now, can adversity in one's life be a good thing because it actually then allows your instincts to come alive? Because if you're comfortable, there's a tendency to shroud your instincts with complacency. I think adversity really brings out the best and worst in any person at any, any given time. It forces you to uh, that survival instinct, speaking of instincts, rises up and causes a person that might be deemed frail or fragile to become strong and uh, and and impenetrable. Uh, the, if the adversity did not come as a stimulus to provoke that reaction, you would not have discovered the instinct. But can too much education then cripple your instinct because then you rely on knowledge or what's being told to you as opposed to what you tell yourself? I don't I do not think that too much education can be crippling. I think that your attitude about your education can be crippling. Your attitude. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you consider all that you have been educated with to be infallible, right, then it is crippling. Because it, for for an example, if we were back in the 14th century and and the notion was that the world was flat, then you were educated. If if you thought that thought was infallible, 
then you would have missed discovering the rest of the world in America. So, so uh, intellectualism is always progressive. It's ongoing, and while we respect it, we should not worship it at the shrine. So I don't don't think that too much education is a problem. But I think when we assume that we have learned that all that there is to know, then we lose the ability to become instinctive. Uh, one one caveat to consider that I think might be uh, profound to mention at this point is that when I begin to do some research on lower forms of life, mm-hmm. the bigger the brain, the less apt the animal was to be instinctive. Because that would suggest that there is a propensity to rely upon intellectualism because of its convenience to those who are so intellectually endowed to respond to it. And those that have less to rely upon become more dependent upon instincts for survival. Now, that does not negate the fact that both the the endowed intellectual being and and the inferior one both have instincts. It is the propensity to rely upon them that is in jeopardy when the brain is larger. So it's really about using knowledge as a supplement and finding the right balance. That's right. That's that's what the book. That's what I'm writing about. I'm writing about in the book that 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 if if uh, intellectualism were bullets, it may load the gun, but instinct pulls the trigger. And so the more, so you can never have too many bullets, <laughs> but you will never be effective at hitting the target if you just gather bullets and you don't have the instinct to pull the trigger. Think of all the people who have got degree after degree after degree. And have not had any success in, the, in the, any particular area. People have been trained for things that they know all about it, can explain it, but cannot do it. And then somebody will walk up and do it within much inferior uh, academic background. But they have the instinct to know when to pull the trigger on the few bullets that they have. Well, that explains why a lot of the MBA professors are not as successful in the real world. Because <laughs> all they do is regurgitate and, and spread the same knowledge every year, year after year. I am shocked at the amount of people who can teach something that they cannot do. <laughs> you know, they know all the facts and all the historical information. They have all the empirical data about it. They are, they are wonderful at espousing the ideologies. But when it comes down to implementing those ideologies, mm-hmm. they don't seem to have the instinct to know when to do what. It, it is so, so I am not against in any way the gathering of the bullets intellectualism. But I am saying, why gather the bullets if you don't get the instinct to know when to pull the trigger? Right. right, right. I want to talk about courage, fear, and instinct now. Um, because you do need an element of courage to follow your instinct. It involves changing the way you think, going through initial difficulties, possibly even uh, compromise. Uh, people have enough information on how to handle failure. There's a lot of books out there. And, you know, I fail every day. A lot of people fail a lot of the time. So failure is known. Here's the thing. How do you handle success? Because success is the unknown. Failure is known to everyone. Success isn't. Um, How can we use our instincts to help us overcome the fear of success? You know the Jonah complex in the Bible? Mm -hmm. I'm relating it to that. Well, you know something. I think that there is a tremendous amount of fear that comes along with success. I think that success can be quite intimidating. And success often doesn't leave many mentors because those who have done it don't stick around to tell us how. They generally isolate and we fail to be able to penetrate the barriers that exist around the truly gifted people to see what it is like to be them. 
that's part of the reason that I wrote the book, not because I think that I'm one of them, but I have been close enough to those that are to be able to be a spy and bring back a report to the rest of us. <laughs> this is, hey, you know, this thing. Um, one of the myths that exists along the parameters of the question you just asked me is that when we see people who are tremendously courageous, whether they're courageous in a boxing ring like Holyfield or on a basketball court like Magic Johnson or whether they're courageous about the acquisition of a company or merger or, or, or uh, whatever it may be, we think that they have no fear. But in reality, they do have the same fears that we do. They just don't let fear drive. So if fear uh, is in the in the car, that's okay, as long as it's not behind the wheel. Okay. And 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 I would say that courage also needs to take a back seat because you can be courageous to your own destruction. The balance between fear and courage are polarities through which that if you stand in between all of them, the fear is a gift from God too, because it makes you cautious, it makes you careful, right. it makes you uh, preempt any uh, adversarial attack. And mm -hmm. so the absence of fear is not a good thing. But if courage completely controls, then you, you run into burning buildings without any thought of how you're going to get you or anybody else out. So I don't want somebody who's totally courageous. That fear balances him. And then the instinct, the instinct settles you down into me, the balance between those two polarities. Now, on page 175 in your book, you had a funny, well, it's not funny, but I, I thought it was, uh, <laughs> it was funny for me. Um, Regarding your bodyguard at the Dallas airport, there was a shooting, <laughs> and that's where I want to bring fear and instinct. Mm -hmm. So could you tell our listeners a little bit about what happened that day? I came into Dallas DFW. I hadn't lived in Dallas very long, and I had this, this security guard uh, who was just, I mean, he was mammoth. He had a master's degree in criminal justice, and he had all the background to be absolutely amazing. And, uh, and and we had come into the airport, and I'm, weirdly, there was some gunplay going on out in front of the airport. And I'm in the vehicle uh, in, <laughs> in trying to get out of the vehicle. My security guard with all of I mean, he's six foot six. He's got muscles and triceps and biceps everywhere, okay? This guy leaves me, and he's <laughs> in the airport. <laughs> He is in the airport, and the police are out there with guns drawn, and there's some nutcase out there with the gun, right. uh, respectfully, nutcase. but Not looking for you, though. Not looking for me. <laughs> I just happen to be in the crossfire of it. This is the thing. I'm in the vehicle going absolutely bananas, okay? So I cracked the door open, and I told the officer. They had the guns drawn. They're creeping up on the guy. I said, look, I need to get out of this car. I said, I don't mind if you shoot me. Just let me get to him first <laughs> because I was so angry at this person uh, who, who had done such a poor job that uh, I probably needed a little pastoral care myself. <laughs> Using that as an example, if your instinct and that body at the security guard's instinct was to be a coward, should you then stop following your instinct because it actually makes you a worse person? I'm talking about you know, blending instinct with a moral compass of sorts. The oddest thing, some of the best security people you can have are people who are not cowards, but they're suspicious of everything. Um, it's a balance. It's a funny thing because it is their propensity to be careful and protective that makes them good at what they do. Right. 
uh, this guy, I think he got the mix a little off. <laughs> I think he, I think he OD'd a little bit on one of the ingredients. I don't, I'm not smart enough to know which one they went to excess with, but I do know at the end of the day, you don't hire people to run your security department who runs off and leaves you in the moment of crisis. I was, I, I almost felt bionic with anger. I was so angry with him. I didn't care whether the perpetrator shot me or not as long as I got close to him. It was a bad moment. Forgive me, you all. I'm so but, apologetic. Sh- Using that as an example, should we be careful that our emotions, and he reflected an emotion maybe, not an instinct. Right. Should we be careful that our emotions not be regarded as instinct? Most people confuse emotions with instinct, and that is precisely perceptive of you to be able to bring it up. That we, we, we respond to things emotionally, and we think that I had a feeling about it. That, that That's not really what I mean when I'm talking about instincts. When I talk about instincts, I'm talking about not so much how you are informed by your emotions or your intellect, either one. I'm talking about things that you lean to, you gravitate to. How do I determine them? Well, well when you do them, uh, they fire you, they fuel you, they impassion you, they motivate you. You, you. Your body gives you energy when you're doing it. You don't get tired as, as quickly when you're doing it. You feed off of it. Your instincts are saying this is where you belong. So your instincts are basically emotions in the long term or passion in the long passion. term. Passion. And your emotions are short term. I think passion fuels your instincts. It helps you to find your instincts. Your your passions are an indicator. It's a blip that this is this is this is hot for me, you know. Without sounding crude, uh, but I oh, please use, do. It's my show. <laughs> it's it's like what turns you on, right? And everything doesn't turn everybody on. Right. In the same sense, every job doesn't turn you on. Every position doesn't turn you on. We, we probably are better at knowing what turns us on physically than we are on what turns us on. Uh, spiritually, economically, intellectually. We haven't done the deep work of articulating what are my spots, what does it for me? Because if you find the thing that does it for you, it will feed you while you feed it. If you give, give and it shall be given unto you. Whatever you give yourself to, it will give itself back to you. If you give yourself to this radio broadcast, it in turn will give itself to you. If you partially give yourself, then only part of it will come back at you. So you have to find the thing that, that it ignites you to the point that you're ready to give your whole self to it because in turn, it, there will be reciprocity back to you. I want to talk about action and purpose through instinct. And again, you know, I was thinking about it this morning. Does action without purpose ultimately lead to sin. And here's why I, I, I thought so. If I continue to eat beyond the need for nourishment and the occasional indulgence, it leads to gluttony. Right. If I only rest beyond the need to recover, it leads to sloth. Mm-hmm. Uh, if my only goal is to outdo my neighbor, it leads to envy, so on and so forth. So, action without purpose I think action without purpose does lead to sin. Um, I, I think it also uh, leads to failure. Uh, we don't even, sin when you use term sin, it speaks of it from a theological perspective, but I think action without purpose will ultimately lead to your demise because all of the things that you categorize as sin ultimately lead to your demise. Uh, and, and I think that, that purpose is the security guard that controls our actions, our influence, and our income. 
I think it's dangerous to have anything that you don't have nailed down to a purpose. And and I would submit this to the thinker. Suppose I leave my income to my children, mm-hmm. and I leave them my income with my without my intellect or my purpose. Right. They run through the money because the money is not tied to anything. It's a statistical fact that people who hit the lottery more times than not will end up bankrupt in three to four years, money without purpose. If we don't go through the process of developing purpose behind whatever it is that we have or do, then we will trivialize it or lose it or it will deteriorate from us. There's something about earning it and understanding it and respecting it and honoring it with purpose that that adds to the longevity of the thing that you respect in that regard. So in your own life, you have so many actions. What is your core purpose? I think my my core purpose is is to uplift people and to encourage people and, and to say to them uh, that you can make it, not in the sense of survival alone, but that you can ultimately release what was breathed in you creatively, intellectually, emotionally, artistically. It is in you for a reason. Do not die with your dreams locked in your chest. Well, in terms of challenges of getting in touch with your instinct, here's one thing I find my biggest challenge is what I call stamina. I've seen your uh, sermons. Um, love them. I really love them because you're not biblical. You're just very, it's common sense, which is sometimes the most uncommon sense. Um, you seem to provide nourishment once a week, let's say on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. How do I survive Monday to Saturday? Because here's my problem. I'll watch you, uh, and while, I'm, while you're talking, I, I could wrestle a lion. But the moment you're gone, it's like a burst balloon. I, I, I feel deflated. Uh, and maybe some other people do. It's like, you know, when you go to the, when Rocky came out, I thought I could hit anyone in the chest. Right? But that feeling went away 10 minutes right after the show ended. The, the only teaching that does us any good is not the teaching that we're exposed to, though it's an honor to be exposed with, to a person of thought on, in any way. Mm-hmm. But it is only the engrafted word that saves the human soul. Engrafted means that that sticks with you. That that comes from me and ultimately becomes yours on Monday is all you have to fight with. If you leave my sermon with me, it will do you no good. But the part that sticks to you becomes an arsenal through which you can fight your day-to-day montage of problems. And, 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 And if you're going to do that, then that's why people take notes because they write down what sticks right. or they tweet what what sticks to them because that is engrafted and that word that is engrafted ultimately liberates. You see, your book is the ignition that sparks us to start using our instincts. But what is the fuel that's going to keep us going? The fuel that's going to keep you going is how much more effective you're going to be. Uh, how much less energy you burn doing it, how you get invigorated from doing it. See, it doesn't burn a lot of energy when you ask me to be me, but it wears me out when you make me have to be something that I'm not. 
And the reason that we are so tired every day, I mean, we got 20 years old, 20 year olds tired, 30 years old, can't get out of bed in the morning. Slug it. We are worn out trying to be all the things that we have been contorted into in order to accommodate other people. It's easy to be me. If you brought me on this interview and you told me that I had to be Nelson Mandela, I would have a terrible time because I am not that. And I'd have to study and read and act like him and watch him and do it. look at all the things I have to do to pretend to be something that I'm not. But when you ask me to be T.D. Chakes, I'm very comfortable talking to you because when I walk out of this room, I will still be him. You are asking me for an inventory that is in my warehouse. Bishop, you mentioned in your book, why is routine the enemy of instinct? I think that we routine, like rituals, like religious uh, dogmas, uh, lock us down to uh, the death of ideas, the loss of creativity, the inability to explore beyond the expected wears out your instincts. If I lock you up and I put you in a cage, you may be a lion. But I put you in a cage all your life, and I tell you, you've got nine feet to walk. And yet your instincts are telling you there's something beyond those bars that's for me. I cannot in, in any way remember having gone beyond them because I've been raised in the cage. And yet my instincts tell me I belong out there. Following those instincts requires breaking those barriers of monotony to be exposed to those infinite realms of possibility and opportunity. So you emphasize being true to yourself. Absolutely. Right? Uh, to keep the uniqueness. But in today's world, we're always told to blend in. Uh, in fact, even in your own book, you said, you know, you had to let people go from your own organization because they didn't blend in. Mm -hmm. So there's a conflict there. So No, 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 not at all. It's a very good thing. To fire somebody who doesn't blend in is a favor to them and to you. Because they were meant to blend in somewhere. Why waste time where you're not supposed to be? And and you must understand that, mm -hmm. that, that letting them go is a blessing. Because I'm not saying you don't fit anywhere. I'm saying you don't fit here. Let's keep searching. Let's keep looking. Because I have learned as a CEO, instead of contorting a person into the design of what you need them to be, if they are not, organically that mm -hmm. it's better to let them go and find somebody who naturally fits what you need rather than forcing somebody into uh, uh, becoming something that is not authentically them. And so I, I don't want you to see the release of somebody who doesn't fit within the culture of an organization as, as a negative to them or to the organization. What you want as a leader and a CEO is to craft together a team of people who are organically what you call them when you hire them. You don't want to call you don't want to put somebody in who is an accountant just because they have a degree, but they are not that in their heart because there she's sitting up behind the computer wanting to paint. You want somebody who gets fulfillment out of balancing the budgets and working with the books and dealing with the finances who is actually that. And just because you have a degree in it does not mean that it's who you are. It is just what you do. Now, communicating with our instincts, what would you recommend practically? The first thing to do, because I looked at the book and then I sat down and I thought to myself, what am I going to need? Um, I'm actually going to need silence mm -hmm. in terms of I'm so busy tweeting, Facebooking, emailing, uh, all this short-term noise. Mm -hmm. 
prevents me from listening to my soul. Mm-hmm. So what would you recommend would be the first step? I think one of the things is required. The, the moments of reflection are very, very important, without which I think it's impossible to to determine what has been imposed upon us from what is authentically, intrinsically within us. The, the other thing, though, that I think is very interesting, if you take the time, because I think that wisdom is often gathered in retrospect than in real time. When you look back over your life, mm-hmm. you'll notice certain patterns about you. Moments you were at your best and brightest. What was it about those moments that brought to the forefront certain things out of your character that caused you to shine? Understanding your historical responses helps you to predict your futuristic responses and to better understand that when I am in this environment, I shine. <laughs> when I am not in that environment, I don't shine. See, because what it, what it is is about knowing yourself at your core. It's not about whether you work for Wendy's or J.C. Penney's. It's immaterial. The, 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 the whole, it's a bigger concept. Maybe it's retail. Maybe it's customer service. And I, quite frankly, once I hone in on what it is, I could do it for Sears. I could do it for Amico. I could do it for anybody. But I need to find out what it is. It doesn't matter where I do it. It matters what it is and that that is organically and intrinsically me. Otherwise, you have to abuse me. And abuse is really abnormal use. To force me into being what you need when it is not authentically who I am. Now let's get real. Does instinct, following your instinct, does it have an age limit? I don't think so. I don't. You know Colonel Sanders, mm-hmm. Kentucky Fried Chicken. I think he started when he was like fifty-six. Yeah, if not in his sixties, the story. So, sorry, it could be sixties. Yeah, yes. in his sixties, he was drawing Social Security. Mm-hmm. And and that's a prime example of, of what I'm talking about. He's in his 60s, and he took – and look, what's amazing about him? He took something that we all had right. and built a, a multi-million, billion-dollar corporation out of chicken, fried chicken. It's not like he discovered the cure for cancer or something. It, he didn't discover anything. He just took what was already there and presented it in a way and at a time that it became a multi-million dollar corporation. I think sometimes we're looking for this big bang of a thing that wasn't already there. But some some of our brightest people have done the most amazing things with things that were right in front of us all the time. Selling bottled water. Bottled water, (laughs) right, exactly. I mean, it was there. Yeah, isn't that something? Or Ted Turner and the CNN thing that he, that he built, you know, the 24-hour news cycle, that, which boxes apart and all the MSNBC. But this whole notion of around-the-clock news, when I grew up, news came on at 6 o'clock. That's right. While your parents ate the dinner and, and maybe you had a recap late at night and you went to bed, that was it. People taking things that are right in front of us, right in front of us and serving it back to us because they have the instinct and the innovative creativity to present it to us in a fresh way is what helped to build this country. After all, we didn't really discover it either in the sense of it not being inhabited before we got here. Now, ultimately, following your instincts leads to rewards. Mm -hmm. Page 125, you said one of the best parts of following your instincts is that you set your own standards, not by anyone else's. Um, That's what you've done. Yes. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Absolutely. I, I, I dance to the beat of the drum in my own head. Uh, and I think that's the
the best way to do to compare yourself with other people is not wise to to determine success based on what your neighbor was able to do is unwise because you are not equally endowed we we are all uniquely endowed and gifted in different areas and so you're not running against somebody else's foot you're running against the the beats you have inside the rhythm the rhythm in the book, I talk about the rhythm, the rhythm of heart cells. I sat with a, a group of cardiologists that they were telling me that heart cells developed uh, outside of the body, that when they connect together, the, the zygotes, I think they call them, said that they, they started beating before they touch, and then they connect with other cells that beat at the same pace. And I thought, wow, your very cells, your very heart cells have a rhythm. And I think that people have a rhythm, connecting with people who have your rhythm, who have your work ethic, who have your values, who have your style, make you flow better, makes you more effective at, at whatever you do. And that's important. So being unique in your own ability, but adding value in terms of having a uniform approach to the work ethic. Absolutely. I can't, I can't work. You're different people, but you're running in the same direction in the same race. I, I, I have many people in my office that are methodical, but I can't work with them because I'm a creative and, and I may, may get a thought at 10 o'clock at night. And if you're not the kind of person that I can text at 10 o'clock at night, I don't want you working close with me. I need somebody who, who, who burns like I burn, who's got fire like I, like I have fire. I'm not saying the other people don't have worth, but you put around you people who have your rhythm, and that way you don't waste energy dragging somebody, trying to make them be something that they are not. Very profound. Um, now, instincts and example. You have, and I read this from your book, a pair of Roman Cane Corso dogs <laughs> named Bentley and Sable. Yes. Um, never heard of the name, so I did some research. And it says they are rare, mm -hmm. they are intelligent, they are strong. Uh, and this is what really got me. They're used to fight wild predators like bears. These dogs are related to the Neapolitan Mastiff and are from Italy. They, are used, they were used by the Romans in warfare. What the Friday do you need these two dogs for, Bishop? I mean, come on. They're, Unless they're a reflection of your personality. Wow. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> I, I think in some ways I think that we do choose pets based on our own personality. And, and I think the Roman Connie Corsos, while they are warring dogs by nature, they're also quite uh, genteel and, and amicable uh, in, in expression. They they only will uh, attack if backed in a corner, right? And uh, maybe that is a reflection of my inner personality. I got to think about that. But but I, I I got them. I'm I'm fascinated by them because if you if you came to the house, my dogs would jump all over you and lick you to death. You would they love on you. And oh, you. I would I would you would cure my constipation in a heartbeat. <laughs> with those. Uh, they they look like Satan's puppies to me. <laughs> You know my kind of dog? What? The Yorkshire Terrier teacup. Yeah. Small, cuddly, playful. Every woman wants to hug one. A bit like me, really. <laughs> uh, that's my kind of dog. <laughs> but they're very impressive. I've got to give them to you. Thank you. Now, are they? Are these dogs a dog and a bitch? Yes. Hmm. A bit like most married couples these I, days. I wouldn't have phrased it quite that way. But <laughs> I, I Only being technical. Only being technical. How you, how you read it is up to you. Well, I couldn't squirm out of that. I had to just take it on the chin. Okay. Are you breeding now? Are you going to breed them? Mm -mm. No, I'm not going to breed them. I, I, One's got his family jewels he, taken he, off? Yes. Oh. Right, right, right. I was going to say, is that part of your new evolvement? <laughs> no. 
But you know what? When I when I read about them, they're, they're you. Yeah. Rare, intelligent, strong, well, and I'm sure you've fought many a fight. Yes, sir. Now, um, <laughs> your instincts, the book, was it inspired by your journey in the African savanna? Because there's this thing about the elephant is over there. Mm-hmm. And you have this great uh, piece where you're writing and you say you're sitting next to the Zulu guy mm-hmm. and the driver. Mm-hmm. And you suddenly realize it's your life. You're in between instinct and intellect. Yeah. It was, it, it, it was almost like you had drawn a picture of my whole life in, in, on, sitting on that Jeep because the, the zoologist who was uh, driving had all kinds of information uh, about animals and their habits and their mating and their rituals and, 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 and how they migrate to different areas and so forth and so on. Amazing things like the, the way their teeth were cut. Mm-hmm. So that when they bite the branches, the branches would still be pruned without being destroyed. It's just deep, intricate details, very fascinating. But we couldn't find the elephant. Right. None of his intellect could find it. It could explain it, but it couldn't find it. The Zulu, on the other hand, didn't explain it at all, but he stood up after a while and he said, The elephant is over there. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden I have this big uh, epiphany, this moment that that just blew me away because I've realized that all of my life I've tried to live, I've been living between intellect and instinct, that Mm. intellect can explain it, but instinct can find it. And you'd be amazed at the people who can explain things they can't find, who, who can teach things they cannot do, who can help other people, but they cannot get up themselves. I mean, it, it is living between intellect and instinct. And I think it is because we gather all the data. Right. We know all the facts about it. But there is something something intangible, some nebulous ingredient of instinct that makes those facts usable. And without that, it's like eating food you can't digest. It does nothing for you at all. So, so if intellect does not get digestion through instinct into application, then it becomes voluminous books for libraries. <laughs> and we, we worship at the shrine of people's opinions, but we're not unable to benefit from what they have projected before us because they are unable to show us in instinct real actionable items how to do what you explain. The other symbolism I actually took away from that scene of yours, you're sitting in the Jeep, you're in between intellect and uh, instinct. I just thought, if you surround yourself with less, can you do more? Because you had the guy, he had the jeep, mm-hmm. he had the knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, he had the comfort he could find. He couldn't find the uh, elephant. You got the Hulu warrior, mm-hmm. and I'm assuming he doesn't have his own car. He walks around most of the time. He's got less, less defenses, less weapons, or less effective weapons. Um, and if you look back in history, in the 1800s with the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, our growth as a civilization was exponential. Absolutely. Because we had less. Mm-hmm. Now, we think we are growing because we have technology, but we seem to be like in the shape of the cross. The vertical was the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. Now we're just growing horizontally. Absolutely. We seem to have more, but we're growing less. That's absolutely true. And in, in the case with most 
first or second generation intellectuals or first or second generation successful people, mm-hmm. whether it's intellectually or economically. We give our children everything except what it took to make us great, and that was the struggle itself. So you went through the struggle and rose to some level of accomplishment. You built the restaurants. You started the post office. You did the hair care, whatever it was you did. And all of a sudden, you hand the business off to somebody who didn't grow up with hard times and struggles, and all of a sudden, they can't keep it afloat. Uh, We gave them everything except what made us great, and that was the struggle through which the greatness evolved. And that, in a way, also uh, can dampen your instinct. Oh, absolutely, because in the, in the presence of convenience, you don't need instinct. I don't need to find water when I've got it in the in the tap. But if I if I have to go out here and, 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 and take a, a branch and start searching around on the ground for when, when the branch bends to find water, that's a whole different skill set. And and I, I, I fear, and, and I have as much technology as anybody, I don't want to be hypocritical, but I, I do fear that conveniences have numbed us and, and dulled our sense of, of of discernment and instinctive creativity and we are not seeing for all the conveniences that we have today this the surge in in um in science and healing in many areas that we could that we used to see 100 200 years ago yeah because i was looking around and you know we are changing but i'm not sure we're growing as yeah. a civilization um now I think the book's going to do very well. I think it's going to be on the uh, bestseller list of many categories. What's next on your to-do list? Because you're you're a guy who's two steps ahead of the game. Well, you know, uh, I'm I'm very interested in leadership. You know, I have the TDJ School of Leadership with Regents University where we are fueling online education uh, all around the world to help train leaders. I, I think I'm at the stage of life now that I want to mentor and pour into other people whatever I have learned so that it will outlive me and that it will outlast me and so that my grandchildren, so that I will have some say-so in my grandchildren's world. <laughs> Are you moving then from spirituality a little bit to business? I never, I never left one for the other. They've always been a part of who I am. I don't think I could ever leave uh, who I am spiritually, and I don't think I could ever renounce who I am as an entrepreneur because my my father was that and his mother was that, and and so they're both. And and I don't think that it has to be an either or, but an and with. Uh, spiritual people need business principles and business principles people need spiritual ethics. Oh, yes, they do. <laughs> you know? Especially these days with all the scandals going uh, yeah, around. You need it. You need it. So you don't want to forsake one for the other. You want to bring both of them with you. If you have a spiritual mission to to, to go to to South Africa, but you can't buy jet fuel and you can't get a plane ticket, mm-hmm. then, then all the spiritual commission in the world won't get you on the plane to get there. On the other hand, if you have the money to get there and you don't have anything to say when you get there, why did you go? So what we want is business people who understand spirituality and spiritual people who have better business principles. So basically, you're uh, effectively, you're, you're a word communicator. You're a moral entrepreneur. Morals in business, mm-hmm. morals in spirituality, mor- morals through your movies, morals in your book. Well, more than, than morals, I would not reduce it to morality because morality is always our aspiration. I, I, would, I would say medicinal mm-hmm. because, because I'm more, more than trying to make you be something that I think you ought to be because I got enough work working on me. I think it is showing uh, 
medicine and healing and restoration because whatever is broken in us, uh, somebody cracked it, somebody broke it, something happened to us. And I don't want to be the moral compass for my generation. That's too auspicious a task for someone like me. I do want to be somebody who says to the person who fell off the horse, you can get back up again. And to the one who's on the horse, be careful. There's a dip in the road down there. Okay, if I can do that much, I'll be good. I don't. I don't want to be the litmus test for sanctity. Uh, I think the Bible did that better than me. I just want to be a voice crying in the wilderness, saying, uh, "You can make it. Get back up again. Uh, you can break the bondage of your past. Uh, you can go forward. And even if you blow it again, I'm still with you." My, my sister says this about our faith. She says. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. So if you expect me to do anything in the future, if I if I find me a good hot loaf of bread, you can always count on me to tell you where it was, whether it's in business, whether it's in faith, whether it's in family, whether it's in failure. Wherever I found bread, I'm going to tell somebody. Wow. What do you think your next book will be on? I'm not sure. I would like to continue this whole conversation on instincts because I think there are some things to be said about business instincts, yes. which I touch on in the book, but I'd like to go on into a deeper realm with it. I think their mothers are instinctive. There's some things, some God-given gift that God's given to women. They give them a level of instinctiveness that, that transcend that far supersedes anything that that men could relate to. There, there's an instinctiveness that's, that's done in, in real estate acquisitions and mergers. I'd like to continue this dialogue to educating our children along their instincts rather than training them and pointing them toward our own aspirations. Most kids get manipulated by their parents. I'd much rather see us find out what the child is good at and water them where they are already planted. How about a book on, you know, there's so much dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's so much uh, complacency. There's procrastination. Is there any value in that? Because if you procrastinate, maybe it's your own gut saying that you really don't want it bad enough. It sounds good to want it, mm -hmm. but you really don't want it bad enough. So forget the procrastination. Just remove it altogether. <laughs> yeah, it may, it may be. I haven't thought deeply enough in it to respond to it, but I certainly will evaluate it. I have never been much of a procrastinator. And if I procrastinate much about something, for me, it is generally an indication that I but really that don't want it. But that is why you are where you are, mm -hmm. and then everyone else is below the pulpit. <laughs> I don't know. I think that uh, for me, and I admire people who take action. Mm -hmm. I often say in a joking way, of course, if I'm the kind of guy, if I tell you I'm going to hit you, you better duck. Okay. I like to be around people that when you say something, I can expect you to deliver on what you said. Right. And uh, that way you are accountable and predictable and understandable. I don't understand people who say they really want something and they don't go after it. When your actions don't line up with your words, you confuse me. Bishop, where can we get the book? Wherever books are sold, they can get them online. They can, this is the first book I've ever done that's come out in Spanish, 
and in English at the mm-hmm. same time. It has also come out in audio books. You can get it in ebooks. You can get it in any form you want it so you can listen to it driving down the road or uh, you can have a hard copy like I like so you can write notes in it because I think good books make you want to write in them and underline them and highlight different things. Oh, that goes without a saying. It, it really is a great book. Um, what's the best radio show you've ever been on? This one. There you go. <laughs> Bishop, if I was a woman, I'd climb over, give you a hug, a kiss, and a squeeze, but I'm not that kind of girl. So I'm going to leave you with the knowledge that for me, the greatness of you lies not just in your success, but in your ability to affect those around you positively. Thank you. That pretty much sums you up. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. Ladies and gentlemen, all rise. The bishop has left the building. Ooh, I always wanted to say that. Thank you for listening. The book Instinct is out, so follow yours and get the book. But remember, it's worth reading more than once. A special shout-out of thanks to the wonderful Regina Lewis for making this show happen. And, of course, my dream team, William Sanchez, Rick Buser, and Danao Williams. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswal and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswal Report. If my instincts are correct, I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern. I wish you and your loved ones Godspeed on your journey of following your instincts until next Sunday. Have a productive and a happy week ahead. 